good morning and welcome back to what I think is probably the last Cory Doctorow podcast of 2023. Catch you again in 2024. I am winding down the year. I just spent a week in the studio at Skyboat Media with Will Wheaton recording the audiobook for The Bezel, the second Martin Hench book, the sequel slash prequel to Red Team Blues. Boy, was that ever great. You know, you write a book and you don't know how good it is or whether it's good. It's quite trepidatious. And then you hear someone else read it aloud and you listen very closely so that you can give notes and catch little malaprops. And I think it's goddamn good. I think it's really good. It was very exciting. And so that is in the can and we are winding down the year. Had our annual Christmas party last night and had uh, several dozen people in the backyard. If I sound a little muzzy, I might be just a bit hungover. And I had to get up very early this morning because we had our first annual family Zoom with my relatives in the former Soviet Union and mostly in St. Petersburg, which was quite hilarious because we had many older relations in Canada and in Russia who were not very familiar with technology (laughs) and who spent a lot of time really not necessarily using their camera and microphones in the way that is optimal for this. But then you had a language barrier. My father's first language was Yiddish. That's the language we mostly speak in common with our family in Russia. I speak not very good Yiddish. My brother speaks, I think, no Yiddish at all, but has done some business in Russia and so has a smattering of Russian. And then we have the Russian relations, the younger of whom, the youngest of whom, speak a little bit of English. And so there was just a lot of talking over one another in bad Yiddish, Russian, and English. And also, I should say at this point, because the way that I practice Yiddish is by speaking German, when I go to Germany or Switzerland or Austria, mostly I was not speaking Yiddish. I was speaking German and getting corrected. It was very chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, now we're just sort of tidying up the backyard. We're having 16 people over for Christmas Eve, and so getting stuff ready for that. And I am very happily getting back in the pool here in Burbank. Our public pool was shut for its annual two-week maintenance, and it reopened yesterday. And it was a revelation to get back in the water. And as soon as I finish this podcast, I'm going back in the water again. So what is this week's podcast about? Well, I've mentioned before, I wrote a column for Medium for about two years. Every Sunday I published, I did not miss a single Sunday. It came out to well over a quarter of a million words. And Medium had a pivot, as they have done on many occasions. And uh, they said, okay, well, we're not doing this thing where we have some writers who we guarantee a sum to every month. If those writers want to keep writing for us, they can sign up for the rev share through the paywall, which is not a thing I'm interested in. And so I'm very thankful to Medium for a couple of years of writing this column. It was a fun discipline to engage in. And my deal with Medium was that after six weeks, I got the columns back. So they're all available at pluralistic.net slash category slash medium. I am slowly going through all the pluralistic archives and redirecting links from Medium back to that. And I'm slowly going through my Medium archives and removing the paywall and adding Creative Commons licenses. And I still use Medium as a distribution tool for pluralistic, but I am not writing a custom piece for them once a week anymore, just taking Sundays off except for the podcast. So anyway, all of that wrapped up at the end of October. So now all of these columns are mine as of the middle of December. And uh, the final one is what I'm going to read to you today. 
and it was a good capstone for this. Before I get to reading it, just to note that The Bezel comes out on February 20th, and I'll be going out on tour with it. I also have some events coming up in Chicago, Berlin, Miami, and so I'll be talking about those in the new year, too, if you're in any of those cities, start to think about it. Oh, and I'll also be in Torino and Turin for the Biennale. So all of those details, TK, in the new year. All right, now from pluralistic.net slash category slash medium. The Internet's Original Sin. Just as important as what a regulation says is who it applies to. Take financial regulation. A great idea! America could use some. But, as the cryptocurrency world forcibly reminded us... It's not easy to figure out when someone is doing something financial. So let's come up with a test. Here's one. If a transaction involves a million dollars or more, financial regulations apply to it. Not every million dollar transaction is financial, but there are few enough of these that filing the worth a million bucks but not financial paperwork for them won't be a huge deal. Besides, anyone moving a million dollars around can afford professional help in navigating the paperwork. But that could change. Let's say that hyperinflation results in a massive devaluation of the dollar to the point where your kid's weekly allowance is more than a million bucks, as is the cup of coffee you buy for a friend on your lunch break. At that point, we would need a new test. Getting allowance and buying coffee are not financial. Nearly everyone involved in those transactions is unfamiliar with financial regulations, and burdening them with the need to learn these rules is unfair. Failing to adjust the test for regulatory salience isn't just unfair, it's unworkable. Financial regulation is complex. It has to be, because the industry it regulates is also complex. If we want people outside that industry to understand and conform to its contours dozens of times per day, we'll have to drastically simplify its rules until it is no longer fit for regulating finance. A failure to do this will ensure that everyday people doing everyday things are forever on the wrong side of the law. Copyright is a regulation. It regulates the supply chain of the entertainment industry. Copyright matters a lot to me because I'm in that industry. But unless you're in the industry, it shouldn't matter to you. It's fine to require a grasp of copyright among people who write, publish, and distribute novels. But it's bananas to require people who read novels to understand copyright. And yet, here we are. The test for whether copyright applies to you, for whether you are part of the entertainment industry's supply chain, is whether you are making or dealing in copies of creative works. This test was once a very good one. Back when every book had a printing press in its history, every record a record pressing plant, every film a film lab, making or handling copies of creative works was a pretty good test to determine whether someone was part of the entertainment industry even if it turned out they weren't the kind of person who has a record-pressing plant, can afford to consult an expert to make sure they're on the right side of the law. But a funny thing happened on the way to the 21st century. We started using computers for everything. And computers work by making copies. 
The mere act of reading this article created dozens, if not hundreds, of copies of it. These copies flashed in and out of existence in network buffers, switchers and routers, graphics buffers and RAM, in multiple content distribution network caches, and in your browser's cache. You make a thousand copies before breakfast. That does not make you part of the entertainment industry. It's a near-dead certainty that much of what you do violates the black letter of copyright law. We could simplify copyright until everyone who uses the internet for anything could easily grasp its contours and stay within them. But any copyright that is made simple enough for kids doing their homework and people using a dating site to follow would be way too crude for me and the various parties in my supply chain to follow. But that's not what we did. Even after hyperinflation and copying rendered the test for copyright applicability obsolete, we kept it. Today, every person who touches the internet makes a copy and is therefore regulated by copyright. It's the internet's original sin. Arguments about copyright are always about which copyright rules we should have, but we should really be arguing about who we apply copyright to. The failure to adjust copyright's test for applicability for the internet age has turned copyright into the all-purpose rule for everything we do on the internet, which is everything. In the early 2000s, I got an email from a stranger saying, Hey, I showed up for our date last night, but you weren't there. Everything okay? I replied that I didn't know what they were talking about, and they sent me a link to a dating site where someone had stolen my identity and set up a profile with my name, details, and picture. So I figured out the phone number for the dating site and called them and explained what was going on. Sorry, they said, we don't have any way to figure out who's impersonating whom. If you want to get this profile removed, you should send a copyright complaint to our DMCA address claiming that the photo is an infringing copy. That's the only way to force us to remove a profile. Reasonable people can disagree about how long copyright should last and what constitutes fair use, but I don't think there's anyone in the supply chain of the arts who thinks that copyright should be our first line of defense against identity theft. Millions of artists are legitimately alarmed by the rise of so-called generative AI tools because our bosses want to fire our asses and replace us with chatbots and deepfakes. We artists have a labor dispute, but because American labor law is so weak, with most creative workers ineligible for union representation, creative workers are reaching for copyright law, arguing that making temporary copies of works and performing mathematical analysis of them is a copyright infringement. As a legal matter, this is just wrong. Worse, it's bad tactics, creating a new copyright that gives the artist the right to decide who can make a temporary copy of a work or subjected to mathematical analysis, will not stop our bosses from firing us and replacing us with chatbots and deepfakes, though it will create a lot of collateral damage. By contrast, labor law is a powerful and effective way to save creative workers' livelihood from greedy asshole bosses. The only problem is that so few of us are able to form a union. America needs effective labor law every bit as it needs identity theft protection and privacy law, but copyright is the wrong tool for the job. Yes, you can hammer a screw into a wall with a screwdriver handle in a pinch, but you're going to hurt your hand and break your screwdriver. I depend on copyright for my livelihood. 
It's precisely because of this dependency that I want copyright to be narrow, well-crafted, clear, and technical. I don't want copyright to be the all-purpose tool for everything we do for a computer, not least because all those other problems we're trying to fix with copyright are real problems. And they deserve real solutions. On a personal note, I've been writing a weekly column for Medium since May 2021. The company is no longer employing columnists, so this will be my last Medium-only piece. I'll still be publishing my pluralistic feed here, of course, so you can keep on reading me without changing anything. I've mirrored all my Medium columns to my personal site, which is both paywall and surveillance-free. The most recent ones aren't up yet. They're exclusive to Medium for six weeks after publication, and I'll be posting them all in the weeks to come. I'm grateful to Medium for our years together, and to you for reading along. All right, that is this week's podcast, and that is this year's podcasting wrapped. I will talk to you in the year 20 and 24. I hope you have a good Christmas, a happy new year, uh, that you um, head into 2024 with good feelings in your heart, and that the year to come is good to all of us. Talk to you later. You've been listening to the Cory Doctor podcast, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike US 3.0. Or as Woody Guthrie put it in another context, this song is copyrighted in the US under seal of copyright 154085 for a period of 28 years, and anyone caught singing it without our permission will be a mighty good friend of ours because we don't give a darn. Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it, we wrote it, that's all we wanted to do. Many thanks to John Taylor Williams for mastering. That's Rynex Studio, W-R-Y-N-E-C-K Studio at gmail.com. John Taylor Williams is a full-time self-employed audio engineer, producer, composer, and sound designer. In his free time, he makes beer, jewelry, odd musical instruments, and furniture. He likes to meditate, to read, and to cook. Talk to you next week. <laughs>